0: Good evening. We're spread all over the room here. I'm glad you guys are here tonight. We are starting a a new series. You know, I had such a a difficult time trying to figure out what to name this series. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. And there's so many words that uh, are applicable that could be useful in that. I mean, I was thinking one of the words was lavish. But, you know, just having a thing called lavish sounds like, what does that mean? You know, it's a little bit out there. And one was reorientation. But then I felt like I was in school and I was signing up. And so I came up with the, the term vision. And really it has to do with the perspective that Paul has throughout this book. When, when I was younger... I used to love to climb trees in our backyard. We had some pretty tall pines, and I would literally get myself like a lunch or something to eat. Maybe it was just cookies, but I would get something to eat, and I'd get like a soda, because I don't think they had bottled water back in those days, but I would get something to drink, and I would just climb this tree, and I don't know how far it was up. It was pretty tall, and I would sit up there literally for hours. And I would just look out over our neighborhood, and what I loved is I would be so high up that I could see down my street, and we lived on a hill, and so I could see way down the street, and then the street would come up past our house, and then it would circle around behind us. And so I would see a car coming, and I'd know, oh, I know who those people are, they live up behind us, and I would just watch that, and I would know, well, you guys are going to drive here, and I would just have this awareness of what was going on because I was so high up in this tree. And I would sit there again for hours and just enjoying the view, seeing the city, seeing the street up here and the kids playing over there and hanging out. And that vantage point allowed me to see things in a different way than I normally did. And I guess that's one of the things I liked about it. I liked being able to see just more than one thing at a time. You know, so many times when we live our lives, we we only see what's in front of us. And our vantage point is limited to what's happening right there, right now. And what would happen if we had the vantage point that God has looking at our lives? How would it change the way we live? If we could see things the way God sees things, what would change in how we do things? Would we have more boldness? Would we take more and bigger chances because we believed in A bigger God, we had a a different vantage point we were able to see and say, oh, I know that car isn't going to stop there. It's going to go all the way to the house. I I know what's happening over here. I know what's going to happen here. If we had the vantage point of God and the vision to see things the way He sees things, how would it change the way we live? I I can remember a question being asked, uh, if you knew That you wouldn't fail. And if you weren't afraid of anything, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail and you weren't afraid to fail? What would you do? What would change in your life? And then, what is it that's keeping you from doing? Is fear what is keeping you from doing the things that you would want to do if you weren't afraid? Well, how would I live if I had the vision and vantage point of of God? And so turn with me to the book of Ephesians. And and as Paul starts this out, he gives us just a a little information. Verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul starts this letter out, three times in three verses, we see Jesus' name. We see Jesus, we see Christ Jesus, we see the Lord Jesus Christ. We we see this focal point there that Paul has. and, And theology wasn't the reason that Paul was writing this book. Paul isn't writing this letter for theological reasons. Oh, there's all kinds of theology in this letter, but he's not writing this letter to uncover and to reveal some type of of theology. But it's actually to reveal theology through the experience that Paul has lived. And so three times here we see Jesus and we see that this is something that is very relational. It's important also to know that when he says to God's holy people in Ephesus, some scriptures it'll say to the saints who are in Ephesus. And some manuscripts don't even have the phrase Ephesus in there. And so it's believed that Paul was actually writing this not just to the people in Ephesus, but it was in Ephesus when it was being written and was writing it to a lot of churches because it was being circulated. And so he's writing this to the holy people. And you think about that. Who are these holy people? Who are these saints? And you see, the term holy has less to do with moral quality than it has to do with relational standing. So the holy ones aren't those who are free from sin. Because later on he's going to say those who stole steal no more. So it's not like they didn't have issues. He's not talking about those who have attained some level of perfection. The holy ones has to do with those who have stepped into a relational aspect with God. And his whole point of this letter is to help us see where we are in this relationship. And so, as theology isn't the point of the letter, but theology is revealed in the experience, we don't only test experiences by theology, but we actually also have to test theology by experience. Now, I know that might sound contrary to what you have thought or maybe heard in the past, but really, we have to ask ourselves, does this theology work? Does this theology bear fruit? Can this theology be lived out? Because what good is theology if it doesn't produce a life? that is changed. I remember I had a conversation with a a guy, it was a number of years back, and I had shared some thoughts and just things that have happened in my life and how I came to Christ. And, And just the way that God kind of drew me to himself. Have you ever heard those testimonies where it's like something powerful's happened, and someone has a life-changing experience, and from that life-changing experience, all of a sudden everything was changed? Well, that wasn't me. Mine was kind of a gradual process. And I remember sharing a little bit about just how, how God had reached out to me and this guy said, Hey, uh, bro, can I talk to you afterwards? And whenever someone says, Hey, bro, can I talk to you? It's not a good thing usually. Okay. It's usually, it's not like, Hey, bro, can I talk to you? Here's some money I wanted to give you. It doesn't work that way. It's usually, Hey, bro, can I talk to you? It's like, got a beef. Okay. I got something against you or I got some bad news to lay on you. And and so he, he said, Hey, can I talk to you? And I said, Sure. So after I was done, we went and we're sitting down and talking. He goes, yeah, I had some problems with what you shared uh, this morning. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. That whole hey bro thing got me thinking. And so he said, yeah, you know, um, what you shared, it just really, it, it isn't scriptural. And I said, well, what part? And he goes, well, just how you, how you said that God reached you. It just really isn't the way God reaches people. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you but it's the way it happened. You know, I don't know if it fits into your theology, but it does fit into the truth of what happened to me. And he was insistent, no, that the Bible says that this is how God reaches people and he went through and he started explaining explain to me you know that God has to reveal first our sin to us we have to come to a place where we acknowledge our sin and then we come to a place where we acknowledge our our need for God and kind of went through the 10 commandments and here's what God does to get you to know who he is and how you need him and I was like I understand that that sounds great but that just ain't the way it happened with me it just didn't And, and he's saying well no that that's not true I don't know what to tell you. I was there. It's me. I'm telling you it is true. And and you see, we don't only test our experience by theology, but theology is tested by our experience. Does it live out? Does it bear fruit? Is it something that can produce a life that's changed? Because Paul is not trying to write a letter to just explain God This letter is a practical example of how you can know God and experience God. Not just know him intellectually, but to experience his life-changing power as we live. And after Paul's life and ministry after this conversion that he had, his life and ministry was constantly having encounters with God. I mean, we know the story. Paul had this amazing, one of those testimonies. I was on the road, you know, and going to Damascus, and I was on my donkey, and then a light flash knocked me off my donkey. There's a phrase there you should use. You know, sometimes it just knocked him down. And then a voice spoke to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. It's hard to to kick against the goads. And what an amazing conversion that was. And so Paul had an experience with the living God that changed how he lived. And after that, he had more than one experience that confirmed the truth that he encountered, the living God. And so he's talking about God's salvation. And he starts with this phrase, again, three times in three verses, Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Apostle is one who is sent. It means he has this ministry I'm a, I belong to Jesus by the will of God, connecting Jesus to God, to God's holy people. Again, dealing with a relational aspect, not a a level of righteousness, but to God's holy people, those who are in this relationship because of the faithfulness, the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. Again, that. Holiness is in relationship to this person, Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a theme that is throughout this first chapter and the book ends with this. Grace is the means by which we enter into this relationship with God and peace is the result of this life that is brought to us by God, and it all comes through the Lord Jesus. And so he is talking here at the very beginning and connecting these dots that God is bringing us this new life and it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And so, as he's talking about the God he's encountered and how he's experienced this God, we see that the, the God that we know, the physical and the unknown spiritual go hand in hand. Even as we were going through that spirit series, we saw that everything really is spiritual. The Hebrew word doesn't, they don't have a word for spiritual because they consider everything created part of God's spiritual order. And so as he starts talking about a number of topics in this book, it's interesting because he'll talk about salvation that comes to Christ and then he talks about our behavior And then he's going to talk about marriage and family. And then he's going to talk about spiritual warfare. And they're not all different topics. They are all under this umbrella of an encounter with God, that you should encounter God by his grace, that the peace of God should be upon your life, that the relationship you have with God should affect who you are as a husband, a wife, as a child, that you will encounter spiritual conflict. Why? Because you are in... Christ Jesus. And this is the world that we are in. This is the perspective. This is the sight that we have from that tree branch looking out over the city. Paul is now sitting us in a place that he calls later on the heavenly realm or heavenlies. Trying to get us to understand the vantage point and have a vision from that vantage point so that we don't live our lives just with what's in front of us, but we have a perspective that is much bigger, that sees much further. And with that perspective, it should change the way we live. And his whole point is to do just that. You see, in Paul, we don't find any tension between the rational, this is how God does it, and the experience, this is what's happened. They work hand in hand. And it's almost as if Paul is expecting everyone who encounters Jesus to have an experience of Jesus. In fact, if we don't understand that, this, this book will become difficult to Comprehend. This letter makes no sense if we don't take it with the aspect that when you encounter Jesus, you are going to experience the living God in some way and it's going to affect how you live. He just assumes it's going to happen. Maybe not to the degree it happened to him, but he expects it to be a reality in our lives. He assumes that the people he's introduced to God and instructed would also experience the living Lord. That he would minister to them, that he would give them insight, that he would convict them of wrongdoing, that he would direct their lives, that he would empower their lives. Because this is his vantage point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus to be a person who is walking in step with the Lord. Have you ever been driving somewhere and and you knew where you were going, but the person next to you didn't? And they're not comfortable or not sure. Are you sure this is the right way? Yeah, no, I'm sure. We've been here before. I've I've been here... I don't, I don't know. This doesn't look familiar. And they keep telling you, no, this is wrong. This doesn't look right. I don't think this is right. I thought they said to turn left at the gas station. I didn't see a gas station. No, I've been here. I, I know. And sometimes our spiritual life is like that. It's I've experienced the living God and I know He is faithful and is going to accomplish something. I don't know what's going on here. Are you sure God is real? Are you sure He's going to get us through this? Are you sure this can happen? No, I know He can. I know He's done this and I know we can trust Him. I can see from this vantage point, from who He is and what I know about Him that this is what his desire is for your life and for my life. So you don't have to be afraid. So you can have peace because you are in his grace. Well then, why is this happening? I can't answer why it's happening. But I can see down the hill. I can see across the street. I know what's past the next bend not because i have this futuristic knowledge but because god has put within you and me the relational standing made us holy with the person of jesus christ do you know what that means do you know how that is to po- is supposed to affect your conduct, your thoughts, how you see yourself in the world you live in. If we lose sight of this, we're going to misunderstand what he's trying to say. And we'll disconnect his talk about husbands and wives with the spiritual warfare. Or or we'll disconnect these things and not realize that he's talking about who we are in Christ through all of this. And our vision needs to be there. And so even in these first three verses, we see that Jesus is central. He's central in this vision that we are to have. He's the God who made the world and has now made himself known in through the person of Jesus Christ. And as far as Paul is concerned, any picture of God that doesn't now have Jesus in the middle it is actually a distorted view of God. It's not as clear. Because if you want to know who God is, you see him most clearly through the person of Jesus. And so that's why he is the emphasis in these three verses, and that's why he's going to be the emphasis in that, throughout this whole letter. And so Jesus says things like, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say, they're not my words, but they're the Father's, He who sent me. Philip, have you been with me so long that you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so if we want to know what God is like, we look at the person of Jesus and it is revealed more clearly. Well, how does Jesus deal with a person in sin. Well, look at the woman caught in adultery. Well, how does Jesus deal with a person who betrays them? Well, we look at, we even talked about it Sunday as we talked about Peter's betraying Jesus and how he dealt still with forgiveness. You see, we see God more clearly through Jesus, and that is why Christ Jesus, by the will of God, Peace to you from God, our Lord and Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He keeps connecting Jesus to God because he wants us to see as clear a picture of God as we can. And the clearest picture we can see is in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has blessed us. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There it is in Christ. The king that he is speaking about here is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. That's what is the Christ. That's what it means. And throughout this chapter, we see this idea of in Christ over and over again. So he has blessed us in the king, verse 3. He chose us in him, verse 4. He fordained us through him, in verse 5. Poured grace on us in him, verse 6. Gave us redemption in him, verse 7. Set out his plan in him, verse 9. Intending to sum up everything in him, verse 10. We have obtained our inheritance in him, verse 11. Because we have set our hope on him, verse 12. And have been sealed in him with the Spirit As the guarantee of what is to come in verses 13 and 14. We are lost in Jesus. And in Him, this King, what is His? is now ours. The king represents his people and so what happens to him happens to us and what is true of him is true now of us. Our representative. And and so even stopping at there and just thinking who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing that is in Christ. Do you believe that Is a true statement? Or do you think, well, someday I'll get the blessings of God? I I don't see it right now. I, I don't have the blessings of God right now. And what Paul is wanting us to do is to shimmy up that tree, get up there and say, no, look, see it? It's here right now. You're just not seeing it from your vantage point. But it's true and it's yours and because it's yours it should affect how you live right here right now this faith is supposed to be lived out this heavenly realm that he talks about or heavenly places or the heavenlies whatever the translation you have says Paul is working on reorienting how we think. Freeing us up from earthly constrictions so that we're not just bound and limited by what we see or what we know. Discovering the spiritual blessings and the spiritual aspect of every blessing is eye-opening. And just like we went through the spirit series, pretty soon everything becomes spiritual. There isn't a coincidence in your life. Everything has opportunity. The email that you got at that time meant something. Why? Because from this vantage point, God is constantly trying to bless you. It's as if he is moving the entire universe in your favor to accomplish something wonderful in your life. Every spiritual blessing. He's wanting to give to you. That means, oh man, every situation that happens, He's orchestrating and working, trying to work in your favor. Now we still have choices. We still make decisions, good and bad. And so I made a bad decision. I turned the wrong way. Okay. Recalculating, recalculating, right? It's like the GPS, you know, he makes a little noise, says, you just went the wrong way. Okay, I got to turn back. God is always trying to steer us, always working things out because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It should open our eyes and eventually we learn to discern the transcendence in the things that are normal. We start learning to discern and recognize God's voice in the most unusual things. It happens at a moment where you hear something on the radio and it jumps out to you, a commercial on TV, and all of a sudden you are hearing a voice and that ministers you a subject, and it was just a voice about, you know, Huggies diapers or something, and you got this impression, I need to go hug somebody. It's like, what the heck is going on here? I'm just freaking out. And you start understanding that God is speaking through things you would never even imagine, and he is trying to to bless your life and to get you to, to live beyond just this ordinary and to live a spectacular life that is exciting and is an adventure because the living God is at work in you. And this is to be our normal perception. This is to be our regular understanding. And verse 4, his great prayer, as he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy in his sight. There is so much that he's telling us here. It's like, wait a second, wait a second, let's stop before you just throw this all at us. And the first thing we recognize again that he has chosen us before the foundation of the world is connected to in him. You see, it is through Jesus that we are predestined. It is through Jesus that we are justified. It is through Jesus that we are glorified. And so anyone who comes to him gets the inheritance that belongs to him. It's not taking away our freedom to choose. Our choice in him changes everything. And and he's chosen us from the foundation of the world before creation to be holy. Again, don't think of living without sin, think of living in relationship. To be set apart. That's literally what the word means. He has chosen us in Him. That means as we come to Jesus, we are now set to this position to live our lives, to be holy and blameless in His sight. To live in such a intimacy with the Creator that we have His favor. Where does that put you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Are, are you spending so much of your time worrying about being good enough? Man, I can't be holy Man, I got a foul mouth and man, my mind sometimes it wanders. Man, I cannot be holy. You don't understand. You already are. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It has to do with how close you are. Because it is in Him. There is nothing you can do to make yourself more right in the eyes of God than what Jesus has already done for you. And if you would stop trying, you could actually start living in relationship instead of trying to earn favor. Start living in favor. Start living as his child instead of trying to prove yourself that you are his child. You already are in him. And that in Him is everything. It means everything. It is our hope. It is where we rest. It is our dependency. It's in Him. And only by understanding and celebrating this larger story, this vision that now we have sitting up above, in this area can we hope to understand everything that's going on in our smaller stories that our our small story is part of this big story that our story is being written out but it's being written out in a much bigger tense and so we observe God at work in and through our lives why because I'm in Him. It, it makes a difference if I'm busy and I'm looking at my phone and I'm in the middle of something. I look at the phone and it's from okay, it's so and so. You know, I'm not going to say any names. Don't want to make anyone feel bad. Um, but you know, so and so is calling me. It's oh, it's so and so. But if I get a phone call and it's from one of my kids, why is my kid calling me? What's up? I'm going to answer. It's my kid. Why? Because it's my kid. What's going on? Everything okay? Yeah, are you going to bring dinner home? (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll get dinner. But it's my kid. They've got my ear. Because they have my heart. You have his ear. Because you're in his heart how do I know I'm in his heart? How do I know I I, I have favor with him because it is in him? You see, it all comes down to the person of Jesus. How do you know God loves you? You look at Jesus and what he's done. How do I know that God cares? I look at Jesus. How do I know that God hears? Because I am in him. How do I know that God is at work for me? Because he who began a good work in me, which he did through Jesus, is going to perfect it and bring me to completion. You see, what we need to do more than anything is recognize where we are in him. And if we can see from that vantage point, if our vision goes through that lens we will see everything different. Because now God is for me. Who can be against me? Not things present, not things to come. You know, when I'd sit up in that tree, I would see that car in the distance and I'd say, oh yeah, here comes the neighbor. And I would know where they were going and I could see them in the distance. Oh yeah, that's the future. I could see them when they're in front of my house. Okay, yeah, it's the present. I could see them drive behind my house. That was something that's past now. The vantage point that God wants to bring us in is a place where the future, the present, and the past is all in him. All the shame, it's in him, it's covered. My fears, my hopes, it's in him. He's going to care for you. What's happening now, if I could see it in him, it will change how we live. And so the next few weeks we're going to be looking at how we can change our vision and have the perspective of being in Him. And, and so I thought the best way that we could start and, and recognize who we are in Him is to remember what He has left for us and that is in the table, the elements. When Jesus partook with His Disciples, and and he broke bread. Remember, he, he was telling them, do this as often as you do in remembrance of me because he is connecting them to that moment. He's connecting them to what is happening so that when they would meet again, weeks, years, centuries later, they would say, what we're doing now connects us to what he did then. And what he did is mine today. His body is broken. His blood poured out. Why? Because forgiveness is now given to those in him. Because now I am predestined from before the foundation of the world in him. Because now I belong to him. And so let's set our minds in Him. Let's recognize who we are in Him. And and what we're going to do is, Alex is going to come and he's going to lead us in a song. And as he's leading us in the song, I want you to come and and get the cracker, to dip it in the juice here, and, and then to take it back to your seat. And before you partake, I want you to recognize that what this is doing is reminding you of what Paul is trying to convince you. He's trying to get you to where, to be aware that praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That as you partake of that, you will see that I'm partaking of every spiritual blessing. It's mine because of this. Not the cracker, not the juice, but because it represents Him. And He told me to do this because He doesn't want me to forget who I am because of Him. He doesn't want me to distance myself from that perfect work that was done for me, for you. And because of this, These blessings are ours. Father, I pray that tonight you would overwhelm us with the wonder of what you've done. And as we partake here tonight, God, might we put aside those things that are saying contrary to what you have said. The, those voices that are lying to us saying that you're not good enough, that you aren't accepted, that God is forgotten about you, that God doesn't have a future for you, doesn't have plans for you. That those voices would be silenced by what we partake of here tonight that we would say, no, this is your voice telling me that all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms belong to me. Because of this, I am in you. May that voice echo in our souls and reverberate in how we live. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Come on up as we worship and take this back to the seat and just allow God to meditate or meditate on God as you partake of this. Amen. I want to leave us with a challenge this week. When you encounter a problem, a difficulty, a hardship, and you will, I want you to ask yourself, what does God see? In this situation, what is God's viewpoint? And see if you can step outside of the circumstance and see yourself as God would see you, and look at the circumstance from that perspective. So if it's an illness, if it's a financial stress, if it's a a fault or failure of character, you, you see yourself in some position, I want you to not just see, be living in that situation, but I want you to step outside and I want you to see yourself as God sees you. And I want you to see yourself in him in other words, don't just see, oh there's that person. I want you to see yourself surrounded covered in Christ and see how that will shape the way you look at that situation. Sometimes all we need to do is change our perspective. And then the problem that seems this big, and the God who seems this small, we change and we say, wait a second. Oh, here's the problem. Here's God. Okay. I, I see further now. And When that time comes, I want you to pause. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to stop and you're going to have to think. How does God see me in him? And what's his perspective of this situation? And see how that affects your life. All right, I'm going to close in one last prayer. God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that the reality of who we are in you would grip our lives and change us. Lord, that the theology of what that means would intersect with the experience of what that is and it would produce fruit of who we are. And so I pray, God, that each of us throughout this week would experience you and experience who we are in you, that the reality of that situation would shape us and how we live. And I pray your blessing on everyone here, Lord. I know there's difficulties, there will be trials, but Lord, your spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing has been given to us in you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.